You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. So let's pick at the news, like a couple of buzzards along the side of the highway. Uh, what's what's first on our... Well, I think you and I were going to talk about dealing with haters. Uh, both of us have uh, created viral blog posts, and uh, I think both of our viral blog posts were relatively innocuous, and yet we still have people uh, commenting with uh, with hate, and I just find that fascinating. And I know you did a recent, uh, a recent interview on another podcast, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on dealing with haters. Yeah, so my my post was less innocuous than yours was because uh, I was telling a whole community of people that the way that they are doing uh, relationships is wrong. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, you were giving relationship I, advice. I, I'm pretty sure yours was way more charged than mine. Yes. Uh, so I was telling a bunch of conservative uh, Christian homeschoolers that courtship doesn't work and giving some really good arguments uh, and, you know, that I stole slash borrowed from my grandmother who'd been giving those arguments all along. I just hadn't been listening to her. And it set the Internet on fire. I got a million page views in just a matter of weeks. And somebody did a series of blog posts uh, critiquing mine. So my, my blog post was why uh, courtship is fundamentally flawed and uh, somebody wrote a blog post why courtship is fund- is not fundamentally flawed part one of eight <laughs> or one of seven and <laughs> you the next week is part passion. two of seven it was like man this this person is really really passionate about this um so yeah it was a it was an interesting it, it happened a long time ago so i don't talk about it that much but i went on this podcast to talk about it and a lot of people apparently had forgotten about how vitriolic all of the drama was around the blog post in the early days so i've been getting lots of feedback on my uh, podcast episode where i talk about how to deal with haters and uh, it, but you you had you wrote an article about the austin police department uh what happened with that well, it wasn't so much an indictment on the austin police department itself it was just more of my decision to leave the world of policing um the various reasons that i did um and most of the reception I got was pretty positive. I mean, I laid out my personal reasons for leaving and, you know, what I came in about the job, what I was excited about the job, and then, you know, ultimately why I left and the politics surrounding that. And most people agree with me. But um, uh, there's just was a couple who took my personal decision as an indictment on their own choices and got really, really mad about it. And, uh, you know... You know, this guy's a moron, he doesn't know what he's talking about, he only did four years on the job, this, that, the other, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I just uh, found it very interesting. A, I was surprised when the thing went viral anyway. I didn't think anybody would read it. And uh, But then B, I, uh, I guess I just got surprised that so many people got angry about my own personal decisions. So uh, I guess they just got offended. But uh, Well, yeah. it's one rule of the internet. If you do anything that anyone pays attention to, people are going to get offended. Getting offended is the new national pastime because it gives you so much power. If you can become offended about something, it gives you power over somebody else's life, somebody else's words, somebody else's clothes, somebody else's behavior. It's really like nothing right now in society gives you as much power uh, over someone else than being offended. So we really reward and encourage uh, fragile people <laughs> who get offended by lots of things. That's the truth. And the internet a- internet age, we all get to voice our opinions. It's like uh, back back in the good old days, Thomas, back before computers. Uh, you know, the the little old lady would come across from the restaurant and criticize you about the clothes you were wearing, and and that was the that was basically that would happen once in a lifetime, maybe. But now 
you post something on uh, the internet or Twitter or Facebook or something like that, and all the world can tell you how screwed up you are. And uh, so, yeah, so the double-edged sword that is mass communication of the internet age. That, uh, yeah. Speaking of that. Speaking of speaking yeah, of that, fragile people, mass communication. Let's talk about the Huffington Post. Speaking of snowflakes, yeah. So you and I were talking about <laughs> um, uh, the internet, and I was explaining to you how the Huffington Post, a, a, a reporter named Luke O'Brien from the Huffington Post, doxed. For those of you out there who are listening to this don't know what doxing is, that basically means that. Uh, uh, someone who doesn't like you is going to find out all of the information about you, name, uh, birthday, address, you know, all the addresses of your family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and put it out there for the Internet world to consume and potentially to take action on. So if you have somebody that's passionate enough about what you said, I think the danger therein lies that, uh, you know, they could come and attempt to physically harm you in some way because they know everything about you. Or they could do like Anonymous does and order a million pizzas off your credit card information. So that's doxing. So Huffington Post, uh, they've been known to dox people with, uh, with whom they disagree. It's one thing to dox somebody who's a public figure who uh, has a lot of Twitter followers, Facebook uh, friends, what have you, and constantly goes out there and makes inflammatory statements. Uh, statements. So the... Uh, it, Individual in question, which Luke O'Brien doxed, Amy Mech said a lot of hateful stuff about Muslims. She obviously doesn't like Muslims. But the problem, I don't think anybody has a problem with him doxing Amy Mech. The problem was the fact that uh, he doxed her entire family, which all came out and said they don't agree with her. So her father's business, her brother brother's business all suffered because the Huffington Post uh, reporter came out and uh, said they all existed and this is what they do, never really gave an opportunity to comment on it, and all of a sudden their their businesses on our reviews on Yelp, etc., are getting a lot of one stars reviews from you know San Francisco and places that are nowhere close to where their actual business is, just because this Huffington Post reporter uh, reported on them. So I brought this news story to your attention just because I felt like it was. Uh, I don't know, really inappropriate, uh, especially for a national news organization for Huffington Post. I know you're big in the Internet world and are familiar with doxing. Thomas, what do you think about all that? Yes, this is a kind of troubling escalation uh, in the war of ideas because doxing is as close as you can get to actual violence uh, with just words. And the reason why it's so concerning, especially when you dox a woman, is that they have crazy people on the Internet who will go after them and invade their homes. I've read a lot of biographies of people like Felicia Day who have been doxxed and had you know, somebody try to break into their home and the amount of fear that that puts them in on an ongoing basis. You know, Because if you're famous, right, out, one out of a million people is an absolute monster, right? Maybe more. You know, you were a cop. You probably have a better idea of what the percentages are. But if you're somebody like the Huffington Post and you give somebody's personal address to millions and millions of people, there are a lot of rapists. There are a lot of sociopaths in that population who now have the ability to do violence and feel justified in doing that violence like oh well this person is someone i disagree with therefore i can do violence against them and it's okay morally which um, i disagree with that kind of that whole moral or ethical framework but it makes sense in their head perhaps and that's what they use to go after this person that's really scary and totally unjust to punish somebody for something they didn't do like if so let's say this 
this woman has a brother who has nothing to do with what she's saying on Twitter. Why should he be punished? Why should he lose his job because of what his sister says? That's also really scary. And, you know, strength invites strength. If if you raise the stakes, you have to be okay with the stakes being raised against you. And that escalation, I think, is pointing us in the wrong direction as a country. Um, you know, I don't want to see a civil war. Uh, and the people at Huffington Post definitely don't want to see a civil war because they've alienated everyone with guns. The police don't like them. The, the military doesn't like them. And the gun-toting you know, rednecks don't like them. It's not a good place. So I think uh, for them to escalate is a big mistake. Yeah, and I think the, the, the hardest thing about this is the fact that uh, when you try to assassinate someone's character that's bad enough at all but when you go when you go beyond that and you go for their family as well that's i mean that that's that's crossing a pretty big line it's it's one thing if it's a public figure uh who who's out there making their own statements but when you start going after their family that's you've crossed a big line and um i foresee i hope it comes in the near future because i i find this i mean it's a dishonorable act um, and I'm one of those old-fashioned people who believes in the, the notion of honorable things and things like decency. Um, and I hope it, I hope it gets quashed somehow in the civil courts. I don't think it's uh, necessarily around for the criminal courts yet, but I hope in the civil courts it gets people are the organizations like the Huffington Post. What do they, what do they listen to? They're going to listen to money. And so I, I hope it comes to that soon, uh, just because I think it's so incredibly inappropriate. There used to be an understanding in American politics that you don't go after people's family. And Republicans have been the worst at honoring that. So back in the 90s, Republicans would go after Hillary Clinton a little bit. And that was like, well, she's kind of political. Maybe you can do that. But then they started going after um, Michelle Obama and uh, Obama's kids, which like was worse because suddenly the children are targets. And that's you know completely unacceptable uh at least in most people's eyes and then trump started not just attacking the politics but also attacking the looks of the wives of the people he was running against so he attacked ted cruz's wife's and you know basically called her ugly on on twitter and got everyone talking about and comparing who's got the prettier wife and i was like that is really obnoxious and that's a really terrible precedent to set uh, and as Republicans, I'd like to think that Republicans have a better sense of honor than that, a better sense of decency, that they wouldn't put up with that kind of bad behavior from their own people. And they're very quick to criticize if somebody, uh, you know, attacks Melania Trump. They rush to her defense, like, how dare you attack her for her accent to the fact that she, you know, English isn't her first language. And it's like, hey, that knife's got to cut both ways. <laughs> you, yeah. you can't only stand to Melania's defense and not stand to Michelle Obama's defense. And I will give props to Chelsea Clinton. Um, Chelsea, Cl- I don't know much about Chelsea's politics, but what she makes the news for the most often is that she has one issue that she holds to regardless of who's in office, and that is don't go after the president's kids, <laughs> which, you know, I get it, right? She was a president's kid. She knows what that's like. And so when Trump's uh, young son gets attacked, uh, one of his most strident defenders is Chelsea Clinton, who is yelling at the left for for what is a, a inappropriate conduct and I, I think that that's good that she does that because i think we need to have some decency in this country we need to have some sense of fair play we can't be at war with each other and breaking kind of the rules of of engagement so to speak 
And I guess that's the biggest lesson. Uh, you know, it, like you said, double-edged swords. Uh, we can't necessarily regulate decency because uh, we have the freedom of speech, and freedom is hard. And freedom of speech is really hard because that means jerks get to be jerks. I mean, I'm just a police officer. I just explain that all the time. Being a jerk is not against the law. Uh, which you know it sometimes is really hard to bear, but that's just that's just the way it is. And uh, taken as a whole, now, to Thomas, clear, people are jerks. I mean, that's especially <laughs> when they're hiding behind their keyboard and there's no face-to-face repercussions. People can be pretty bad jerks. Yeah, and I, I don't want any laws against this. I think that's even scarier than the act itself. I want us to police ourselves. If you're a Republican and you want some decency in public discourse, you should demand decency from the people who are listening to you. So sh- demanding that Democrats are decent, that's no good because they don't listen to you. You need to demand that your fellow Republicans are decent. And if you're a Democrat, don't demand that the Republicans are decent. Demand that the Democrats are decent. Like, clean up your own house, pull the log out of your own eye before you try to help somebody else with the speck that is in their eye. Well, I think that's so. a great notion, Thomas. Unfortunately, my faith in the humanity is, uh, is low. Um, that's just <laughs> the way it is, unfortunately. That's just uh, the reality of life. Um, and, you know... I don't think any of us can be too shocked when uh, politicians are Machiavellian and uh, ultimately hypocrites. Uh, I don't. I certainly am not floored when I when I learn that a politician's a hypocrite. So I don't know. That's just the way it is. I don't have a solution. Just uh, I think ultimately when bring it back to the doxing thing, I think I think there will be. I think there will be. Hopefully not a legislation, not particularly a law put against it. Although I I can see that happening as well if it gets too bad. But definitely some type of civil litigation, some type of something like that, which will make these companies stop that. Speaking of haters and doxing, at Apple's WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference uh, this year, they opened with a video that compared developers to like a herd of wild animals. It was very strange. And I was like, this is the sort of thing that you really have to be careful with. Because the whole point of WWDC is it's a conference for developers, celebrating developers, educating developers, and to compare them to animals. I'm like, this is a really high-risk gambit. I'm, and I'm curious how developers reacted. Um, one interesting thing is that it's easier to make fun of people who are secure and who they are. And the kind of developers who are at WWDC are changing the world, making lots of money. They're on they're the kings of their universe and queens of their universe so to speak so perhaps they weren't offended but i was like there are a lot of groups of people that you could not do this about like if you do that about homeschoolers or any sort of ethnic group you'd be in a lot of trouble Uh, but they did have some interesting announcements of what's coming in the future for apple owners Uh, so i realize most people who listen to podcasts are apple owners because android people are in general uh not podcast listeners which makes me sad and makes them less Gives them less access to information. Definitely Filthy gives them less animals. Access to- <laughs> no, no. Hey, we just talked about uh, raising the level of civil discourse. You know, Thomas, it's interesting because <laughs> if I get a platoon of Marines out here and I tell them that they're a bunch of wild animal filthy beasts, that's a compliment. So I guess it all depends on your audience. That's right. Marines don't die. They just go to hell to regroup. That's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah. And, and, but again, if you think about a, a pack of Marines or a, a group of Marines, they are very secure in who they are, right? I couldn't think of many groups that are more confident than Marines. I'd yeah, say some might say overconfident. Than the other. 
Yeah, well, you know, that that's the whole appeal, though. The whole point of the marketing and the positioning is if you want to be around a bunch of other confident hoorah guys, join the hoorah uh, core. So, uh, but anyway, back to the developers and nerd stuff. <laughs> so a couple of cool features coming down. Um, one, there's been this big scandal with Apple about them making uh, new versions of the operating system make the phone slower. And with and from time to time, and Apple did this once with OS X when it came out with Snow Leopard, they came out for a whole year. The new feature was that there was no new features. They just made things faster. And uh, this is a process called refactoring uh, where you go through your code and you optimize it to make it faster. And it sounds like that's what they're doing in iOS 12, which is desperately needed. I don't know if they've ever done this in iOS, but their promise is, is that this is going to make your phone run faster. So apps are going to launch between 40% faster and 70% faster, or like taking photos is going to be 70% faster. And it's going to run on all of the phones that iOS 11 ran on. So this will actually be an upgrade. So normally when you download the new version of iOS, your phone gets slower. And that's, yeah, that's why not I never an upgrade. Do it. It's a downgrade. <laughs> so, But you need to do it for like security reasons, right? Like you, uh, your phone becomes vulnerable to hackers. And I feel like this is the only good thing that apple could do in this context they could continue denying it but after the whole battery gate uh, controversy i don't feel like they really had the right to do that because they um ended up having to throttle people's phones because they're draining the batteries too much because the code is just too inefficient um so that's the that's the big exciting news the other thing is that they're coming out with memojis i don't know if you heard about this but you can now make a avatar of your own face kind of like the what yahoo had back in the day but with tongue detection so when you make a animated emoji you can stick out your tongue at somebody which i'm sure is great so our society is going to turn out into a bunch of uh, people with tongues hanging out of their faces uh, well, the phones at least can detect if your tongue is hanging out of your face, which, you know... I look forward to walking somebody down Somebody worked hard on that feature. And having a bunch of people doing selfies with their tongues hanging out of their face. <laughs> Just so I get captured uh, for the Memoji. That's right. Uh, one other cool feature, and um, uh, Google announced something similar to this in their Google I.O. conference a few uh, weeks ago or a couple months ago. Uh, but they're uh, reducing drug mode in the phone. So what do I mean by that? Phones have been up to this point designed scientifically to be addictive. Uh, very, the games especially, but even other apps and other elements. There's gamification, which is uh, the science of making a f- it addictive. And the Does result the has DEA been. Does the DEA know about this? <laughs> the DEA only cares about drugs that compete with the drugs that the rich drug companies make money selling. Uh, although, actually, the studies do show that if somebody's playing a video game after surgery, they require half as much painkillers uh, because of how powerful video gaming is when it comes to mitigating pain. Oh, crap. Uh, so phones if- are about to be a Schedule 3 drug. Hydra phones, kids. You're going to have to have a prescription for that iPhone. <laughs> Only the iPhone 6 is available over the counter. We're going to have to get that <laughs> black market iPhone. <laughs> I'm going to have to call my iPhone Uh, dealer. (laughs) So anyway, Apple's adding a mode where you can set limits. So you're like, I'm putting a 30-minute limit on myself on Facebook so that it gives me a five-minute warning. And then as I'm running out of time, it says, okay, time to do something else, which I think is a a really solid strategy. It helps you kind of monitor how much time uh, you're spending on your phone because it can be really 
hard. You know, you download a super addictive game like Clash of Clans, and you think you're spending 30 minutes on it, when in reality you spent two and a half hours on it, and that time just got sucked out of your life. It's kind of like that machine in Princess Bride. It's like, I have just sucked one day of your life away. Mm. Tell me, how do you feel? And remember, it's full posterity, so do be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I call that Saturday. So anyway, I'm excited overall about the new direction uh, for iOS. They made a few Mac OS um, announcements, but nothing that was particularly exciting. Uh, I really want better search. The search on my Mac is not great, and they keep not improving that. They have a dark mode, which is very exciting for developers. Anyone who spends a lot of time staring at their screen, you can make it darker, uh, which is easier on your eyes and uh, maybe help, will help you sleep better at night. But... Uh, yeah, overall, uh, well, it, there was no hardware. So uh, no new phones, no new watches, just new software for the phones and watches that already exist. But that's a, a quick recap of Apple's WWDC. I'm just waiting for the day that they have a microchip that I can implant on my head so that my thumbs don't hurt anymore when I'm operating my iPhone. Like, I can just think. <laughs> Get and, you some Google Glass. You know, I call it my brain anyway, so why does it go ahead and just put it into my brain and just make it all easier for myself? And then I can learn how to speak well, Chinese finally. There you go. Get that little babble fish. You put it in your ear and you hold out your phone. So when it talks in your phone, you hear it in perfect English. We're moving in that direction. It'll be interesting if we ever get there all the way. I'm sure we will one day, Thomas. I'm sure we will one day. <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening to Liberty Buzzard, where we pick through the news along the highway of American culture. 